Hello ninjas and ninjas, welcome to another episode of the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast. My name's Tim, I'm head ninja at Exposure Ninja and best-selling digital marketing author. This show is all about helping you to generate more leads and sales through your website and in this episode I'm joined by Brittany Stackhouse who is the head of development at Exposure Ninja. So Britt's team is responsible for designing and building all of the websites for our clients and the reason we wanted to get Britt onto the show was to talk through how you get a profitable website built. Now, if you've ever had a site built for your business before, or you've had multiple sites built for your business before, you'll know it can be a very scary process. You're basically putting your trust in an external company and the website is central to the performance of all of your digital marketing so it feels like a very risky thing so brit's here to talk through how to get a profitable website built on time on budget and with minimal fuss don't forget if you think you might need a new website or you'd like to discuss with us about getting a new website then go to exposureninja.com and we will conduct a website and marketing review. We'll take a look at your site. We'll see if there's any uh, room for improvement. And if you need a new website, don't worry, we will let you know. But without further ado, enjoy the show with Britt talking through how to build a profitable website on time and on budget. Brett, welcome to the show. Hey. <laughs> so for those who don't know who you are, um, what is your role at Exposure Ninja? So I'm the um, head of the web development department at Exposure Ninja, um, and I oversee all of the bespoke lead generation websites and anything dev related that comes into the department. Yes, you are spinning a lot of plates at any one time, aren't you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, always fun, always busy. Getting a website built can feel quite scary for people. It's quite a high commitment thing and it's something that people don't tend to do very many times. You might get a site built every like three or four years or whatever. So in this episode, we're going to be talking through the process of getting a site built, find out what the process is like at Exposure Ninja, but really use that as a way to identify what the pitfalls are that people should avoid if they're doing it for their business. Um, so first up, I just wanted to ask, how do people know if they need a new website? What are some of the things that, that you'd look at and say, right, this site needs to be rebuilt? Um, there's multiple factors that can come into this. So the most common one is that you, the websites actually look outdated. Um, so you look at the website and you think, oh, yeah, it does look really old school. And a lot of the time, websites actually go pretty much out of date quite quickly because design um, and development work moves on quite quick. Another thing as well is what people will notice is they'll have a website that's been working for years in terms of them generating leads, um, but then there's been a steady decline. Now, those declines could be down to the way the website's built and the way that Google is looking at the website, or same again, it can come back to how it looks. A big one, obviously, there's a change in the last year or so has been mobile friendly in terms of how Google sees websites. So um, mobile first has also taken a big place in website development and it started to rank websites mobile first. So that's also something that people are starting to feel in terms of their websites that they've had for a co- that are a couple of years old. And I guess the other part is, we quite regularly deal with clients who, um, as part of the SEO campaign or the paperclip, we know that they're going to have to add or edit or change things to the site. But 
they just don't have access or they're being held hostage by a previous web development company or something like that. So sometimes we'll have to rebuild a site, even if it's not necessarily like super out of date, just so that the client actually has control and, and can use their website properly. Yeah, totally. And it's something that we see very often, actually more than we'd like to see, to be honest. But yeah, people come along, we get them sorted out and they nine times out of 10, they actually leave with a brand new website. Perfect. So who are the characters? What different ninjas are involved in a website project? Uh, so there's multiple ninjas that work on a project. Um, so we start off, we have a project manager. So they are our gatekeepers. They, they sit between um, Exposure Ninja and the client. So the client will be assigned a PM and they will liaise with the, the PM all the way through their project. So the, client, the PM will ask them questions. They'll find out the requirements of the website and they will feed all the work and all the information back into the internal team. The internal team then consists of a designer and the designer will be the one that creates the look of the website. Once that's all been done, it will then head over to a developer and the developer will be the one that puts it all together and then brings it to life. And they will build the website, obviously all the pages, adding in all the content and everything else to make it interactive. We then have an SEO ninja, so they'll do all the on-site SEO. So these are things like the meta tags, the keyword research, um, the optimization of images, optimization of links. And then we also include a QA ninja and the QA ninja will review the website, check everything's all working properly and it all meets the standards that we need that website to, to achieve before it goes live onto the internet. So there's quite a few people involved. Um, sometimes people don't actually realize that there's quite a few ninjas or even a few different dis small departments on a project. But when we bang them all together, they come up with these amazing websites that really do business, people's businesses justice and their online presence is really, really good. Absolutely. I suppose if we're writing content for the site, we also have the copy coordinator, maybe a copy ninja and then an editor as well. So there's it kind of goes into the CM team as well, doesn't it? Yes, it definitely touches on the CM team. You kind of, because they're kind of separate to the dev department now, they kind of get forgetting about at times. But yeah, without their, <laughs> without their knowledge and their expertise in writing copy as well, obviously that's a big factor in terms of um, maybe I should have said them before, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, to, to, to lay people a web designer is someone who builds a website right and they would be expected to um just kind of make a website and that would to to us that would include the design and the development process so in once you get to professional websites the, the person who designs and the person that develops are actually separate people aren't they why are they separate would it not just be easier to have one person do the design and the development uh, this is quite a big argument in the industry. Um, I've come from a background that has worked within a, within a company that have had people, somebody that does both jobs. However, what we tend to find is because both the design industry for web development and the coding industry for obviously for coding a website, they are two completely different things. And they change so regular that people can't keep up to date. So having people specialize in them two sections means that they can keep up to date. Um, and they can provide us with obviously the best and the most up-to-date services that they can get for that section that they focus on. Um, there is people out there that have got the ability to kind of do both, but then we still notice that there is a slight difference in somebody that is dedicated to design to somebody that does actually design and coding. 
I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna um, blow your trumpet here and say you're one of the only people out of I don't know how many developers we've worked with over the time of the explosion to probably hundred. You're one of the only people, and I know one other guy who can make nice designs and develop. But other than that, people are either they tend to be the the kind of creative person who is a designer or they tend to be the following instructions and executing person, which tends to be developer. So I guess they're also kind of different personality types as well, I suppose. Yeah, and I think one one thing that comes into mind as well is you have to be the type of person that can step out of that job that you're actually doing. So as a designer, a designer, when they just design, they kind of think about how the user's going to actually look at the website and interact with it. But then a coder is the person that just wants to get the job done, but it doesn't matter how complicated it is because they understand it. So sometimes when somebody kind of mixes in the middle, they've got a very good level of actually being able to step out then both roles and look at it from an end user's point of view, rather than just being a specific designer or a developer. They're a bit of a hybrid. Yeah, I guess that that also helps why there's a separate project manager because they can look at it from the client's perspective or the user's perspective and keep the design or developer on track. Yes, yeah, definitely. And obviously having a third set of eyes also means that when it does go to coding, for example, if something is working in a certain way and they don't understand it, there could be a chance that actually a lot of people out there looking at the website, if it went live, wouldn't understand it. So it's a great, great gatekeeper, again, to be able to look and say, I think we need to change that. So let's talk about the process of building a website then. What's the, say someone has identified they need a new website, they've engaged a website company like Explosion Engine or somebody else. What should be the first thing that happens after that decision? So planning is the main thing that you should be doing when you obviously agree to having a new website. A lot of the time you'll spend more time in planning than you would actually thinking of the design or having the website developed. At this stage, it, you really need to think about what you're trying to deliver to them, to them potential customers when they're browsing your website or even just in general when they're out on the internet. So there's different things that you can actually do. So one thing we do at Exposure Ninja is we have a website spec. And what the website spec does, it asks the our clients general questions around their business, so who their target audience is, such as their age, nationality, or location in the UK. But then we also ask them for what sort of services they sell and what services that they're trying to push on their website. As well as that, we then obviously have a section that we go into design and we ask them for things that they do like on the internet. So it doesn't have to be a website that's in their industry. It just could be a website that they actually really, really like the look of. And we also ask them for websites that they don't like. So having these two things asked, these sorts of questions, means that we can kind of fine tune what they're looking for in terms of the way that their website's going to look, what their website's going to look like. We also talk through um, the navigation of the website. So we ask for an idea of the menu nav, what they would like to have on the site. Now, sometimes clients don't have any idea of what they want, and they'll send us this massive long list of 20 pages that they would like on their menu navigation. And then it's our job to work with them and shorten that down because we know that having 20 menu items is not going to be a great idea. And it's going to cause confusion to the end user. So we'll sit with them and we'll shorten those. We also will ask them for information in terms of like keywords and special phrases that people may use in Google to find their services. And we'll use those for writing copy. 
and also for keyword research and for SEO. And we'll also ask the client to provide any resources that they may have. So a lot of businesses nowadays will have a um, brand guidelines already in place. So we'll ask them for things like that, anything related to their business that they need to follow for their website. So the outcome of that is we know, I guess, what the site needs to do, who it's targeted at, um, where it fits in the sales process. So is it here to generate leads? Is it here to make sales? Is it somewhere to send existing traffic? And we'll also know what are the pages that are required, right? Once once we've got that specification, what's the next step? So once we've got the specification, um, we obviously we get our clients to sign off on them and then we move to the wireframing. Now, wireframing is a process where you actually look at the customer's journey. So a project manager will basically generate their visuals and these visuals are really basic. There's no nothing fluffy about them. They're pure black and white but they give a rough framework of what that page is going to look like and where elements are going to be placed. So for example, a lot of the time that we highly recommend that our customers will have a form above the fold and that will appear on the right-hand side. Naturally, people read from the left to the right and we find that the conversion rates of something that will be on the right is a lot higher than something on the left. So we would place that into a wireframe. We place all the other elements and sections that are going to be on that page and then we will show it to the client. So this gives the client a feel for what that end user is could potentially be doing on their website before we go to design. Now, what we find that if we don't follow this process and we go straight to design, clients get more caught up with actually looking at the, looking at the site, at the colors, at the images, rather than the customer's journey. So thinking about wireframing before, you're actually more guaranteed to get it right and, and increase your chances of getting leads, then you would be going straight to the design process and thinking about it after. Hmm. This is really key, isn't it? Because how a lot of people will judge the look and feel of a website will be on the surface things, the pictures that are used, the colors and all of that. And they don't really have the experience i guess they wouldn't have the experience to be able to judge the effectiveness of a website based on its layout so we're trying to get away from all the surface stuff and just get down to the nitty-gritty i guess it's like looking at um say you've got a, a house and the house has been painted a really bright color and it's got nice trees and everything around it if you're a kind of if you're just walking past you might go oh that's a nice house but actually, you know, all the building, all the rooms inside are weird shapes. It doesn't really work. Some of the doors don't open. So if you actually tried to use that house, it'd be completely useless. But because you're just kind of looking at the surface of it, it looks all nice. So we're trying to kind of steer away from that and just look at the plans of the house, aren't we? And, and get the get the core functionality right first. Exactly. Exactly that. And a house is a really good example of that. A lot of people, if they're building a house, they wouldn't have plans for that house on paper before they actually built it. So they have a process. They have done their research. They know what they're after. The website should follow in pretty much the same manner as you would do building a house. I suppose the other thing, uh, to continue the house analogy, if you're having a house built and you say to the uh, the building company, we want a four-bedroom house over there, and then you know they go and start building it and then you know, six months later, you go and have a look around the house and you're walking through the rooms and you go, actually, do you know what would be great to add an ensuite bathroom to this bedroom? 
well, by that stage, it's going to be too late or it's going to cost a huge amount of money to get it changed. Whereas if you want to make a change at the architect stage while you've got the plans, it's going to be fairly simple to do. And I suppose it's the same with wireframes. We can play around and move wireframes immediately, can't we? We don't have to get a designer to change things or get a developer to go and change things and recode stuff. It makes it much more, makes that whole process much quicker. Yeah, exactly. And a great tool that we use for this is called Balsamic Cloud. And it's a actually, it's a browser-based tool that you can use. There is a free version, so you can head over and have a play with it. Um, but it's all interactive. So when we're on the phone to clients, we can actually show them this and we can make changes to it and they can see those changes happening in front of them so that they actually feel like they're involved in this process a lot more than as just giving them wireframes or giving them a design because they can actually say, oh, can we just try this button over here? Or can we just change this wording slightly over here on this so that we can see what it looks like? And we can do it straight away. Sweet. Which pages do we wireframe as part of the process? Like how complete is the site before we move over, um, before we move on from the wireframing process? Every project is different. Obviously, we've got normal normal projects that could be four or five pages through to full bespokes, full to e-commerce. Um, normally, the rule of thumb for me is that we do the homepage, a subpage, the contact us page, a blog a post and on occasion I'll actually do an additional subpage as well so a top level subpage um as i say depending on the project and the clients we're working with sometimes we actually find it easier just to go go ahead and just wireframe every single page on the site just because the client is it's easier for them to see and it's easier for them to sign off but normally core pages only and then the designer once they've been signed off the designer will handle everything else so like one page, uh, so one example of each page layout, I guess, because every page on the site would use one of those layouts. So we're just wireframing one of them. Yeah, pretty much. And if you have a skilled designer working with you, what you'll find is that once they've had where they've got these core wireframes, if say, for example, if there's six of them and then you needed another page so to make a seven, but that happened in design, they already know the feel and the flow of all the other core pages that have been created. So from there, they would actually be able to generate that design rather than going back to wireframing for that certain page. They'll just be able to do it straight away. Got it, got it, cool. So, all right, we've got the wireframe sorted. We've wireframed one of each page type. Now it's time to move into design. So what sort of info do the designers need in order to do a really good job of the website design? So we provide everything that a PM will, has had their hands on. So that is the website spec, uh, the proposal obviously that's come through the sales process, and then the wireframes, and then any additional um, information that's come during the, the last research phase. A lot of the times the designers are really good in that they can see the wireframes, they see their exist, the existing sites, they read through the website spec, and they kind of just come up with these fantastic designs. Rule of thumb with us is that once the designer starts, they only do the homepage. So even though they have all the wireframes, they'll only do the homepage. And then once that's signed off, they will then do the subpages. And that's same again. It's just making sure from our, from our side that we're going down the right track for that customer. So without overwhelming them with everything and obviously showing them all different pages, if they don't like it, we've spent a lot of time designing. Whereas if we do one page first, we can make sure they like it, then we move on. Um, same again, obviously our designers have got access to a lot of resources online, obviously such as Shutterstock and things for images. If 
clients don't provide us images, um, we're pretty on the ball in being able to find suitable images for the design. And a lot of the time, actually, the designers will put the images in themselves to achieve the look that they wanted to achieve. And you make a really good point there about getting feedback little and often. We've, you know, we we didn't create this website development process because we're super geniuses, did we? We did it after, you know, probably five years of pain of, of getting it wrong and yeah. not, not so much getting it wrong, but things taking a lot longer. So we found that checking in with the client little and often is, is the quickest way to get a, a website build done and create something that they actually love. I'm thinking about um, the site that we sent over today, uh, this week with a, a homepage and the client was like, oh, I really don't like the look of that. Love the wireframe, don't like the design. So because we hadn't designed out the whole site, the next version of the homepage, which looked ridiculous, by the way, amazing job on that. Um, the client was like, oh, this is incredible. Love it. Because we hadn't gone away and designed everything, we're able to do that kind of iteration really quickly. Yeah, exactly. And it's 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 a saving resource. Obviously, we, do, we wouldn't want a designer to be designing a full site and then find out that the client doesn't like it because they've just spent all of that, all of those hours on there. They know now that it's a it's a homepage first. We'll see what the client thinks. Then you can obviously go ahead and do everything else. But as well, clients love to be involved, obviously, especially in the design side of uh, side of the project. They want to be hands on. They want to get involved. So giving them the little chunks at a time. And obviously getting them to sign off on stuff makes them really feel part of the bit, like the decision making in their in the overall project. So yeah, it's the it's the key things to little and often. I can't stress that enough. Yeah. The design phase is the fun phase. I, I don't know about you. I think the design phase is the fun phase. Nothing makes me happier than going into Envision and seeing all the amazing designs <laughs> that you're working on. <laughs> yes, I do. I go in there quite often and I'm like, oh, I've not seen this one yet. And I look at it and I'm like, oh my God, that is going to be amazing. Yeah. yeah, so it's nice to see. But as I say, obviously, design moves on so quick and trending um, changes so often as well. That's another thing for you to keep a lookout. If you are re- if you are planning your website, have a look online at some of the online trends for websites and see what other people are doing, um, because that's a great indication to whether your website actually is old fashioned or whether you could keep some of the features that you've got in that are doing well. Um, what I am noticing is, is in terms of design, quite some of the old school styling is actually started to come back in. So you could possibly, if you really love your website, but you only need to make a few changes, then you could possibly leave some of the features you've got already. That sounds like when my mum, when I'm teasing my mum about what she's wearing and she says, yeah, but it's, it's going to come back in 20 years. <laughs> yeah, exactly that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, cool. Um, talking about trends and stuff. So obviously mobile first has been a huge thing for like the last few years, but particularly this year when Google said that they were indexing mobile first. Where does the mo during this design process, how do we work on the mobile side of things as well as desktop? Um. So what we tend to do is when we're in the wireframing stage, we will wireframe the mobile version and the desktop version. Now, me being me, I like to be a bit awkward and I like to do desktop, then I do the mobile wireframes. Um, and then I kind of ended up to end up tweaking them accordingly when I've got them side by side. But the rule of thumb is moving forward is to do mobile first. So think about your mobile rather than actually thinking about your desktop users. Now, even though Google is, is indexing mobile first, depending on your industry and the type of people you target, and it could well be that you are still getting a high amount of visitors from desktops, so it would be worth checking your Google Analytics um, to see what the conversions are in terms of people coming from mobile and people coming to desktop. Um, if you have 
if you have more people coming from desktop, then you will still need to cater for mobile, but make sure that obviously that you are still giving the desktop users a real good experience when they come into the site. And that's the same with when it comes to design as well. So the develop the designers will actually have the wireframes for desktop and for mobile. So we'll be able to see all of the designs. And then when that that's passed to a developer, they know what the end goals are for mobile and for desktop. Okay, so we've got the mobile design, we've got um, the desktop design on all of the pages we would then design as pictures, right? So there's no kind of there's no room for failure when we pass it into the development stage no there is no there definitely isn't there are all images now if we are there is tools out there that we do use that can actually make designs interactive interactive to a certain extent so if we are working on something that's more technical in terms of a user's journey or the actions that the user will be doing you can make your designs interactive um but from a mobile point of view that obviously the key thing is is you just need to remember that you need to deliver as high up as possible the relevant information that you want to get across rather than obviously that user scrolling forever down the page to find something um so optimizing for mobile it may be actually that on your desktop site you've got um some facebook feeds or social media feeds um or even quite a few videos that are quite high up on the page but then on mobile are they actually really really necessary on mobile do you think somebody would convert by seeing social media feeds the answer is probably no. So we would take those out of mobile or we'd move them down the page even further and get the more relevant areas such as like your services or testimonials or the about us sections further up the page. Hmm. It's a really good point because for a lot of mobile visitors, they it's, it's not just that they need to see information quicker, is it? It's actually that they have a slightly different need for information. If I'm for example, if I'm looking for a locksmith when I'm in my house, um, I'm going to be kind of researching more. If I'm looking for a locksmith when I'm standing on the front doorstep at 2 a.m. and it's raining, I'm not necessarily going to be trawling through testimonials and looking at their reputation on Facebook. I just want to know who's open and get the phone ringing as quickly as possible. Yeah, exactly. And I th- one of the key things that I always explain to customers is especially if you are a business like that, that runs obviously on a phone and you've got out of um, like emergency hours, is putting a phone icon in the header of the website along with a menu icon. Even if you just have the phone icon, your logo in the middle and your um, menu on the, on the right icon, but having it there, it would move with the user all the time up and down the page and it's straight away you could call. So like you say, you're stuck outside at two o'clock in the morning, you hit that call button, straight away obviously that you that that person who runs that website obviously is going to get a sale going to get a lead yeah yeah absolutely that's what we want that's what we want immediate conversions cool the final part of the process then the development by giving the developer all of these images of the pages presumably we're making their life a lot easier and we're also helping ourselves to guarantee that we're going to get back what we expect once it's being coded right yeah, definitely. So obviously the designer will upload all the assets and everything involved in the design um, to one of our online programs that we use and the developer will go in there and then they will they will extract parts of it. Um, depending obviously on the design, there is sometimes there can be some slight variance into the design and into development. 
they're normally very, very minor points, uh, but there is some stuff that happens in design that we actually get to development and we actually think, actually, this isn't going to be possible for us to achieve. Um, a lot of the time, these developers are geniuses, so they can achieve pretty much anything. Uh, but there's just a few design things at the moment that happens across the industry that can still um, throw a spanner in the works um, in terms of obviously as, as adding them in. Um, so once a developer has everything they need, they're also given, same again, the website spec, a briefing from the project manager and a briefing from the designer. At that point, they will, um, have, they will completely review the designs and they will give us um, some indication of what theme or what platform this is going to be built on. A lot of our websites that we develop obviously all come out as WordPress. And the main reason we, we, we've gone with WordPress is because the, from a usability point of view, after we've developed the website, we know that a client will be, will be able to update their site and they can pretty much update anything. They don't really need to turn to us and ask us for help after that in updating their own, their own information on their website. So the developer obviously will start coding the website. Even though we are using a CRM such as WordPress, our website still come out 100% bespoke. There is no WordPress website that we've developed that looks the same as another one that we've developed. From there, the, the developers, same again, they will, they'll advise us if there's anything that they feel won't be able to be achieved in, in development. Um, and then at that point, we'll address that with the customer. Designers are really, really good now. They've got a close relationship with the developers. So if they come up with a new idea, they will actually talk in-house and they will say, I want to do this. Is this going to be achievable? If it's not, then it won't even go to client. They won't, the client wouldn't even know that's been discussed or, or even see it because we won't apply it to the designs. So there's lots of communication in, in-house in terms of what they, what they can and can't do. And in terms of obviously going from design to development. I want to ask you about the role of SEO and, and what the SEO ninja or ninjas have been doing whilst all of this is, is kind of happening. Where do they start and what are they doing as the project is moving through its different phases? So yes, an SEO ninja will actually start in the research phase. And what they will do is they'll, they'll initially start something called keyword research. So they'll, they'll review the website spec, review the sales uh, materials that's been passed over, and they will go away and they will look, they will research the industry that the client's in. And they will then generate a full list of keywords and phrases that they feel that this website will be good to rank for. And areas of the industry that are maybe low on, on ranking so that they, we can actually accommodate those, those sections of that industry. At this point, we actually set some realization on, on certain terms. For example, if we had a client that came to us and said, I want to be top of Google for mobile phones. Okay, it is possible, but unless you've got a multi-million pound budget, it's not going to be possible. So we set some expectations in terms of what's going to be possible and what's going to be easy to target and what are the more tricky ones to target at that point. So the SEO Ninja will then obviously um, feed that information back to the SEO team and to the PM. The PM will have a discussion with the client now, a lot of the times the client aren't really bothered about the keyword research. They just want us to take, take the reins and just make it so that their website is fantastic and that it dominates their industry that they're in. So we'll obviously make those decisions on their behalf. At any point, if the client does really, really want to be involved, we, can set, we send them everything. We have calls with them and we can actually, they can actually work with us side by side um, while the keyword research is taking place. Another thing that the SEO Ninja take, takes part is in they review the wireframing. Um, that obviously that we generate before we go into design. 
And the main reason that they do that is they look at the CRO elements and um, they take notes of any SEO things that they we feel that need to be implemented in the site um, that may have been missed. Now, a lot of the time, we don't really get much feedback at that point because our, when we wireframe, we think about the CRO and we think about the SEO a lot and the PMs are trained in this these industries, so they automatically comply. But as we know, SEO changes all the time. So if there's a new if there's a new feature coming in or if there's a new release of the Google algorithm that we know there could be an area that this client could be affected with, then same again, we'll address it in the research phase. They'll also review in the design as well, just to make sure that we're on track and just be, to keep them up to date with the project. And they'll obviously um, be able to see the full copy as well to make sure it's keyword optimized. And then once the website's built, so obviously it can take a couple of weeks to have a website built, they will receive a login off the developer and then they will start optimizing the back end of the website with the metas and the keywords that they've obviously they've come up with and they'll go in and op- optimize all of the images and anything else that they feel needs to be optimized in the site. So the website has been built. Um, before it goes live, is there anything else that we need to do? Yes. Yeah, so the website is thoroughly QA'd um, on our part. So what does QA mean, Britt? It's quality assurance. So we've actually got a full list document bible of all checks that a website needs to pass before it can go live. So these will be looking for things such as like responsive issues. Um, So if it goes down to mobile and there's something that's slightly out of line, or it could be simple things as that there's a form, but the form doesn't look, um, it's hard to fill out. It's not visually pleasing. So we'll also look at content to make sure it's all been optimized as well as actually looking at the SEO that's been applied to the site and making sure that that can be, that's as top notch as it can be. So the QA obviously Ninja is is a Ninja that works within the development department, but they don't necessarily see this website until this point. And the reason we do that is because a fresh pair of eyes is always the best person to be able to see any problems that you've got with your website. So if you have had a new website developed and it's been in the office, it's been around everybody, but people have seen it multiple times, that it's always worth getting your mum or your sister or your, or your dad or your uncle just to review it, just to see if they pick up on anything that, that they haven't, that you haven't seen. You do genuinely miss things if you've been looking at something um, quite often or multiple times. So during that process, obviously, we make sure the website complies with um, the responsive stuff, as well as obviously the, the algorithms for Google. So we don't know exactly what Google's up to. That's Google for us. Um, but we make sure that obviously with the knowledge and the, the the information that's been put online, we make sure they comply. So the site's being QA'd, it's ready to go live. At this point, if you're a business owner, you're kind of quivering because it's scary putting something live. The, the unknown is always a bit intimidating. What's the go live process look like? And what are some things that people should be looking out for if they're having a website going live? So... The, to me, the go live process is the most easiest process that we've got going on when we come to comes to a website build. I come from a technical background, so I talk technical until it comes out my ears, so it all makes sense. <laughs> but I completely agree. As as somebody that doesn't really deal with this kind of thing, it can be really, really frustrating and quite daunting to deal with. So one the way that I break it down with the clients is I ask simple questions. So question number one, do you have email on this domain? Client answers yes. Okay. So where is this email? Are we moving your, are you transferring your email to us or are you leaving it where it is? That's one of the key questions that clients always ask is as, as well, obviously it's relevant, is what do I do about my email? 
So with us, clients have two options. They either leave it where it, leave it, where it is or they transfer it to us. If they're going to transfer it to us, then we obviously, we work our magic and we do that with them. Obviously, we transfer all their email over, everything. If they're, if you don't want to touch your email systems, some people have some crazy email systems out there. You can leave that where it is. You don't need to touch it. You can just change some little records on your domain that would send, would, that relate to your website. And um, so you could develop a new website, change those, and then obviously it'll be perfectly fine. That's if you're going to be moving to new hosting. A lot of people, when they have their website developed, they'll probably leave their website on its current hosting, which is perfectly fine. It's not something we tend to do at Exposure Ninja. And the reason we don't do that is because we've invested a lot of money into our hosting servers and they are super, super speed. So having the, having the website, having new websites on our server means that we've got full access to them if we need to from an SEO point of view and a coding point of view. But we've also guaranteed it the best start in its new life on the internet. So we can make sure that it's got an SSL certificate. We can make sure that it's speed optimized. And we can actually, we can actually check the health of the website on a regular basis. So if you are going to leave your website with your current hosting provider, then you've obviously got your old website on there. Now, what I would say to do is take a backup. Make sure that you've got a backup of your old website. So you could either download that to your current PC or you could actually just um, put it into a folder and then email it to yourself and delete it off your PC if you wanted to. The other option would be just to pop it into another folder on the hosting server that you're using. You would then upload, well, Exposure Ninja would then upload the new website on your behalf and we'd, make, we'd, we'd work away and we'd make the magic happen and make it come alive, obviously on the domain that you are using. At every point in this go live process, if you're with Exposure Ninja, we'll, we'll be with you every step of the way. You're never on your own and we can take full reins if you want us to. We do have some clients that know about hosting and know how to make changes. So they will be, they're more than happy to do them themselves. Once the website's gone live, we don't just finish our job there. We actually, um, we actually perform another QA and the SEO Ninja will actually come back in onto the project and they will finish their go live um, after SEO tasks. So that just means that they're making sure that the website's obviously got the Google tracking in, um, either Google Tag Manager or Google, making sure Google Analytics is there. And we will also make sure that the, it's, if, especially in WordPress, that the website is unticked for, to allow Google to crawl it. Once they've been in and obviously optimized everything, we obviously make sure that the redirects are all in place. So if you've got an existing website as well, you will need to make sure that you take care of those. If you if you've had a website developed and the developers have kept your URLs all the same, then you won't need to follow this. But if you have had a new website and the URLs are different, then you will need to set up redirects. Now you can do that via a WordPress plugin if you are using WordPress. Alternatively, you would be able to do it through your HT access file. So ask your developer about it. If you obviously use another user developer to develop your website, they'll be able to assist you. If not, um, then your alternative option would be to run your new site, obviously let it get indexed in Google, and then you can set redirects up in your Google search console. Just have to be a bit careful on that because it can take a few weeks for Google to fully crawl and fully provide you a list of pages that are 404ing. Um, so after, after all of that's taken care of, um, obviously the website's now live on the internet. It can take, it can take a couple of months for a new website to be indexed fully into Google. Um, so you don't expect to be able to see top of Google the day after or three hours later because it doesn't work like that. 
Google changes the goalposts all the time on how quick it indexes and how quick they actually send their bots to your website to check. So you can keep track of that obviously through various tools online. Um, I'm sure Tim will be able to recommend um, some to you shortly. And obviously just keeping an eye on it is always the best way. Um, after that, obviously, normally we hand over to a campaign ninja because obviously a lot of our clients will have a website developed and then move into a monthly service. But one thing people always seem to forget is that you can't just have a brand new website and then put it live and do nothing after. It needs feeding constantly. It's like looking after a plant. If you don't water it, it dies. And that's exactly like your digital marketing and your website. If you don't water it, it will just die. That's a very good point, Brett. So what sort of water will people be feeding their sites over the first, say, let's say over the first year? Um, so it all depends on, obviously, on the requirements of the customer. A lot of the time in terms of just the website in general, you'll be feeding it content. So a great way of doing that, obviously, is getting blogs onto the website. So even if you scheduled one or two blogs a month, Google will actually pick up on how often you actually update your content on, and pages on your website. So if it knows that on average you update your website every two weeks, it will schedule to come back every two weeks. It will check up on you more regular than that, but it knows roughly that every two weeks this website gets updated. Blogs will help you target key phrases or maybe something that's new in your industry. And obviously this information will then be indexed in Google. So obviously it will help you help you rank for them phrases. Um, simply adding images and one that's really super important is adding more testimonials. Testimonials are really important to a business. So if you if you have a high turnover of customers and you have new people, you're working with new people all the time and they're really happy with what you do, ask them for a testimonial. Even if you just say to them, hey, I'm after a testimonial, here's my mobile number, just text it me. Get them to text it you and then you can log into the back end of your website and you can put it on the news on the site. That's a really good point because testimonials are one of those things that can be quite tricky to get from customers, can't they? So yeah. by making it as easy as possible, you uh, you certainly increase the number of of uh, of them that you pick up. That's really interesting to hear through the the entire website development process. But what are some of the pitfalls that people should watch out for when they're going through this process? So one of the most common ones that come up for us quite is quite often is people will see websites that are very minimalistic. So they don't really have much copy on them at all. They're just very visual. So a good example of one of those is like really high-end designer brands. Um, so like Gucci, Louis Vuitton, um, Nike. They don't really have much content, but they don't really need to because they've got their brand authority. So people know about their business already. They know that people will just type in their brand name to find what they're looking for. So if you sell handbags, for example, and you're wanting to compete in, in Google, then you are going to need content. You're going to need to be as descriptive as possible for designer handbags. If you have a shop in London, you, you, you would need to optimize your website highly on designer handbags London to start ranking the website. You'll probably find that those sort of phrases are hard in general to rank for because they're well known. There's big players in that industry. But making, obviously, the small steps towards those phrases will help and you will slowly start to see your website ranking towards that. Um, if you're really, really struggling, you'd obviously be able to look down go look at the PPC route. But it is a real big issue at the moment where we, we have clients that really want some really minimalistic sites, but they want to rank really well. It's not going to happen. The logic I always think of is content is king. It's the king of the website. 
that's what Google can see. Google can't see anything else. It can't tell what an image is. So if you've got a nice image of a handbag, it can't, it doesn't know what that is other than the alt tag that gives it an idea. You need to explain that in your content. You're right. From a website and SEO point of view, it's really important to have content. But the other thing that people are missing when they say, well, we're a luxury brand, so we want to be like Gucci, is that that Gucci website isn't designed to find new customers and immediately convert those customers, is it? It's more like an order taker for people who already know Gucci, love Gucci. They probably even know the product that they want. Whereas the challenger brand who doesn't have that kind of brand awareness you've got to tell your story you've got to show people what the bag looks like inside you've got to explain the history of your brand because gucci is or gucci has already established all of that stuff it doesn't need to put it on their website they probably should but they don't they don't feel like they need to so it's enough for them to just have a picture and a buy now button whereas if you're not Gucci, it ain't enough. <laughs> you're, you're playing a completely different game, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And there is a good, there's a good balance that you can get. If you, if you really don't like content, um, but you want a really minimalistic website, there is techniques that you can use to achieve that look. Um, our designers are really good at that. So it's, it's a challenge that we've had quite a lot this year. So there is ways of overcoming it and having a happy balance between them both. I think people think of text copy as Wikipedia, don't they? This yes. We say the impenetrable wall of text where it just looks like you've opened a Bible and stuck a bunch of pages on the wall and there you go. But actually, as we've seen with the designers and like some of the stuff they've made this year is ridiculous, they can find a way of making a page with a thousand words on look almost minimal because the way they lay it out and the way they use images and colour and stuff to break up that text. Yeah. And then another pitfall that we we actually struggle with as well with customers is they they know their business in and out. So their business comes with probably a couple of phrases or a couple of keywords of ways of finding them. And I always say to clients when they're, when they're talking, especially around keyword research and how their customers find them, was put yourself in your customer's shoes. You, you've got this fantastic product. Um, that you're trying to sell, but you need the most simplest terms to get for that end user to use. Um, so another one, again, asking a third party. So asking a family relative, if if you was looking for this product, what sort of phrase would you actually use to find this? And taking yourself out of the business mind that you're in. We do it in dev. I can talk technical, but then I know for what well if I got a client on the phone, they wouldn't understand it. So I have to simple that to make sure that they can understand it. So stepping out the box and actually thinking you're actually a customer is a great way of making sure that you're targeting the right keywords for people to find you. Absolutely. Britt, before we wrap up, I want to ask about involvement. So someone's listening and they're thinking, wow, this website development process feels quite, um, there's a lot of stages. They're asking for a lot of feedback. How involved do we need a client to be in order to get a website built? There's going to be a balance, isn't there, between someone who, you know, we obviously don't need them on the phone every day, but on the other hand, if they just go to Spain for three months and expect to see a website at the end of it, it's going to be quite tricky for us to to get them something that, that matches their expectations. So what's the middle ground? What would be the perfect client communication level in your eyes? Um, for us... It all depends, obviously, on that client's on that client's industry and whether what they've already got in place at the moment. 
the research phase for us is the, is the phase that we find that's more client heavy than anything else. Um, so getting that first initial information. Now, the way we work it and the things that we send out to our clients to get that information, once they've provided that, we can kind of be left alone to get on with it other than them signing off on the design. So in terms of at the start of a project, the client is heavily involved. So they will speak with a PM on emails probably multiple times in one week and they'll have a weekly catch up with them. Once it gets to design, same again, that'll, that'll be the odd email each week and a client and a call each and a one call. But then when we get to development, because they've signed everything off and we're actually just building, the communication then kind of just drops down to emails. So we'll, e- we'll email with a weekly or, uh, or twice a week update. And then halfway through, we'll initial a call just to make sure everything's okay. Um, just a nice, friendly catch up with the client. And then once the website's built and it's being QA'd, we'll, ha- we'll, we'll then present the website to the client. And obviously that'll be done over the phone as well. So the clients are kept up to date on a regular basis, obviously more weekly and via email. Um, sometimes we find that even if we have a client that can be on the phone to us every day, it's not productive and it's not productive for them because they actually can't, they, if a customer is on the phone every day to us, obviously going over ideas, it can be a bit of a red flag for us because they actually themselves don't know what they want to achieve and they're telling us all different ideas. So it actually, it actually sets our view of being unsure and questions us of, are we doing the right thing? Is that exactly what they want to do? So it does prolong everything. So I'd say the research phase is the key client involvement. And then obviously we just go on to to weekly weekly catch-ups then with the client. Perfect. Thank you so much for joining us, Britt. Really interesting to talk through the process and also amazing work with the dev department this year. It's um, yeah been a very busy year. A lot of websites, a lot of beautiful websites and some really, really great statistics of uh, some of the websites that we've launched as well. Brilliant. Thank you. 